when we're looking like I'm not building in big rent growth, we're, yeah, I'm saying we're not building in any rent growth because right now it's when we're looking at rents, here's like, you know, if the average is 1500, we're even going under that because we're, we've seen a small drop in rents. Um, so. State Hustlers podcast. I'm your host, Josh Appleman, founder and CEO of Appleman Capital. Today we are we are with Lisa. Lisa has transformed was transformed in 2017 a house hacking start into a 40 million dollar portfolio with over 200 doors. She is now focused on multifamily assets and shares her expertise as a VP of her local RIA, bridging in person and digital real estate communities. Lisa, we appreciate you coming on the show today. If you could let the listeners know a little bit more about yourself. Yes. Hello, Lisa Moore. I'm located in Salt Lake City, Utah. We focus on multifamily assets. Right now, we're really trying to focus on the up to 50 unit assets, focusing on the, the mom and pop landlords that are looking to looking to retire and sell their assets. I got my start in house hacking. My background is financial analysis, so I'm very big on budgeting and finances and the numbers. So um, yeah, retired from the W2 world. Just over two years ago, it's December of 2021, took some time off, and now we're back doing this full time. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, to 2024 and really ramping up our business and buying as many assets as we can. Very cool. And, and I like that you said uh, up to 50. Um, I feel like the, uh, the when you get into smaller smaller complexes up to like 50 doors, it's a lot easier to uh, to turn the, the property around if it's being mismanaged as well as uh, rent increases. You're not going in and having to reposition 150, 200 plus units that you know, ultimately one unit might be great, but now you've got to get a good tenant that wants to deal with everything else and everyone else at that. So it's a, it's a smaller scale play i like it yeah yeah and there just seems to be you know in talking to other syndicators who are doing larger ones there's a lot who haven't bought anything in the last year year and a half because they haven't been able to find anything like where sellers are are at and where buyers it makes sense there's such a gap in in that pricing right now um the the smaller ones we've still been able to find not as many deals as we were hoping to find last year we got a couple but uh Hoping this year we'll we'll be able to find some more some more mom and pop landlords that are just looking to looking to be done, but hopefully do seller finance and yeah yeah and there's a there's a great delta right now with lost to lease because I feel like a lot of people during maybe COVID era they they were just wanting to make sure that their properties were leased and income was coming in and they didn't they didn't uh, keep with with the uh, the coming trend of rents rising. So there's there's great in this asset class, there's great loss to leases that you can capture. And really, that's the easiest upside is just yeah. getting the property operational. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like we've talked to some owners and there is one in about 45 minutes from where we are. And he's like, yeah, our rents, he goes, we're raising up to 850. It's really good, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, wow, like we have an asset that's two blocks away from you that are at 12 and 1300, like yeah. 850. I'm like, if you think 850 is good, I'm like, okay, you're, you're the stuff that we want to buy from because they, you know, they've just been doing it for so long. And for them, yeah. it's paid off. Like they're, so they're making good money. And I'm like, look at, I can keep paying you what you're getting because they're so far below market. I'm like, you'll keep getting your same monthly income. And in a lot of ways, it'll be more because you're not paying for your taxes, insurance, maintenance, any of that. And it's still going to be a good deal for us. Yeah. So it, it can be a good win-win situation in those. Oh, for sure. Well, yeah. and, and 
we're coming in and we're also investing capital into renovations, updating the units and appliances. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely, and that's, that to me is a responsibility for any incoming buyer uh, to, to get things uh, up to date, but yeah, there's a balance. They're getting it for, they're selling it for a fair price, making a great, uh, great yield. And then we're, we've got capital to inject. Yeah. Um, so we, we started getting into the weeds on uh, on the, the 50 units. Tell us about your, your first property, first acquisition, and then how that went and then how it kind of led you to where you're at now, if you could. Yeah. So, yeah. So I grew up in Massachusetts. I moved to Utah in 2016 and knew that I wanted to start buying, buying properties. Um, I took my first year just to figure out where I wanted to buy my primary residence. And I knew that I wanted to house hack, which back then didn't know what house hacking was. Um, but knew that I wanted to rent out a bedroom. Um, didn't want to do a full-time roommate because when I had friends and family coming to visit, I wanted access to that bedroom and just didn't want anyone else in the house. So being able to put it up on Airbnb, back when that was what Airbnb was, was just people renting out their bedrooms in a house and things like that, not the big fancy experiences you have today. Uh, so we started off with that and then met my now husband in that process. And he had a few properties, but wasn't actively buying anymore. He was working and rehabbing his. Uh, but my goal was to buy, you know, buy my primary residence, live in it for a year, move out a year, year and a half later. So we've house hacked um, single family, duplex, triplex. Uh, that's really us being willing to to move and to live in construction zones to live in multifamilies that, you know, at one point we left the house that we're living in now, which is, you know, a two bed, two bath house with got a great yard to live in a small one bed, one bath, like 500 square foot apartment, 45 minutes North of where we live, but to get that financing, to get that, you know, the, it being our primary residence, lower down payment, we had a much better interest rate, um, so we just kind of immediately wanted to start getting into the multifamily from the single family. It never seemed like a big jump in, you know, when you're, when you're looking at them to me, yes, there's differences in how you analyze them and stuff, but it was just kind of a natural progression for us. So um, we're, we like the multifamily and the long-term rentals. We've dabbled in managing short-term rentals. That is not, not for me. I know some people that do it and do it very well. And we want to buy a short-term rental in a couple of places. And I'm like, I will gladly pay you whatever you charge me because short-term rentals is a whole other ball game. Yeah. Uh, the long-term rentals that is definitely, we know it, we do it well. We manage the asset. Well, we, we don't property manage our assets anymore. So now we just do more of the asset management, but we did it for so long that we know what to look for if something happens with our property manager, we'd be able to step in and take over and make sure that our asset is still being run properly. So that's, now that's we're just, a huge piece. It is. And it's amazing how many people I talk to that are buying multifamily that have never managed before. Yeah. And it's such a, it's like the bottom of their priority. And it's it just, mistake. Yeah. yeah I'm like, if you don't know how to run the business, like that's such that it's a big reason why a lot of them fail. And so many people they are like, yeah, well, we're going to run it. I'm like, okay, have you ever run like managed before? They're like, no, but it, it's not that hard. I'm like, 
Yeah, the, the, the property is not the value add. It's always the operations and the business and then what you can do to the property to improve it in the operations. So you, you've got yeah. to learn and know the business way before you go and, and invest in it. And if you don't know how to operate, you can't rely on your property manager to operate it. It's, they don't know what you're – ultimately, they're, they're going to do what they feel like they uh, operations should be. And, and a lot of times, they put people in front of them that have never operated a business neither. So it's – yeah. Yeah, knowing like the experience that we have, like if they're doing something like we'll we'll know if something's not being done how we want it done or if it's not being done correctly. My husband being a GC, you know, when we see maintenance stuff, it's, you know, they were they had an HVAC guy. One of our tenants was complaining that they weren't getting enough heat into one of the bedrooms and they sent an HVAC guy and the HVAC guy's like, yeah, it'll be over a thousand bucks to put in a new ductwork. My husband went there and he's like, dude, just open up the vents and close a couple of like, there was a bedroom that was way too hot and one that was too cold. So my husband went and literally just like closed the vents and they're like, just adjust the vents. Like if there's a room that's too hot, like close off those vents and it'll push more hot air to the other rooms. And they're like, yeah. oh, and the HVAC guy wanted to charge over a thousand dollars to like run all new ductwork to the bedroom. I'm like, there's yeah. already vents there. Like that's not needed. So yeah. And unfortunately, that's that's the industry. That's that's actually what gives the, the construction industry the bad name is people getting taken advantage of and and all that, that's out there. And uh, but it takes a trained, skilled eye and knowledge of uh, of of hedging against those those what would be costly waste of money, errors and mistakes. Yes. Um, and I've, property management is notorious for throwing money at issues versus fixing the issues. So it's, it's where if you're vertically integrated or, you know, you have the knowledge you've, you've you're protecting the investment and the investors from um, maximizing their returns real, uh, yeah. really as far as um, uh, operations go. Yeah. Um, so on the um, property management piece on, and then on the Airbnb, that's, that's very much transactional and, and that's not why we get into real estate, but I, <laughs> I share that I share some pains along that we, we have two of them just because we own the building and operate and work out of the building. Not there yet. We're moving next month, but, it's very successful. I mean, it is a lot of people like the space. That's good, but it's transactional and it demands attention. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah. And like I said, like, you know, we're looking to buy a, a short term rental in Hawaii and one in Wyoming. And I will gladly pay the 20, 25, 30% to manage because I have zero <laughs> desire to do it. And they can be successful and the, the people that run them well. And that is like, they just have those skills. You know, yeah. I know a few people and they, they kill it. They do awesome. And that's just a set of skills I, I do not have. I, I will gladly have somebody else do that for me. I'm with you. So when you, when you finally decided to quit your W2 and retired, um, what were the steps that you needed to take to prepare for that? Cause that's a huge move. It is. The, the biggest thing is, was for us was just looking at our budget and looking at our finances and just, okay, what, where are we at and how much more do we need to be, to be comfortable? You know, so many people say, Hey, I, you know, I, I need to replace my W2 income. And I always challenge that because I don't, it could be the, the situation for some people, but it's not always, you know, I didn't need to replace my entire W-2 income. We were willing to kind of take a step back. And so much of my money went to investing and back into the real estate. So we looked at it as, okay, we don't need to replace every penny that I make. We just, we need enough to survive, be comfortable. And we knew that within a few years, we'd be able to build up our business and that real estate was 
was where we wanted to be in the future and that our earning potential in real estate is endless. A W-2, like you're going to get capped at some point, you know, even you become maybe Bill Gates or whatever, and you can make a, a boatload of money. But like most people, they're they're going to hit a cap in their career to some point where real estate, like it's endless. As many, as much money as we want to make, we can. So for us, it was like, what do we actually need? And then looking at, okay, finding an asset that we could buy that would provide us that last bit of cash flow. Um, and the other thing that we looked at is like, okay, what's what's the worst case scenario? You know, I don't, I always try to be very positive and things, but you also want to be realistic. Like, okay, if this doesn't work out, what what is that going to look like? And going through the worst case scenario, like my worst case scenario was that I have to go back and get a W-2. So my worst case scenario was being back exactly where I was at that point. So to me, it was like, okay, this is all upside. Yes, you could end up having debt and things like that, like something catastrophic. But if it didn't work out, I'd have to go back and get a W-2. So I'm like, okay, so if I do nothing, I'll be here. And if I fail, I'll be back here. But like, so failing puts me back into the same spot that I am now. So for me, looking at what that upside was and my worst case scenario was having to go get a job again. It became almost a no brainer of like, all right, let's do this. Like yeah. I'll take that risk. And we just ran with it. Yeah. And no risk, no reward. I mean, you've got to take chances and bet on yourself, get educated, get your, get your head right. If it's, if it, my, my guiding light is if it's bigger than my head, meaning if I don't know the next five moves, then I get around people who do know the next five moves. And yeah. um, essentially they'll lift you up just by being in the same room and just listen to, to how they, how they handle the uh, the next five moves because yeah no, no, you know, yeah so. you always will have problems you'll always have complications and issues it's just as you as you level yourself up and as you keep improving and moving up in whatever it is you do your problems just become bigger yeah so it's you're never going to get to the point where you have no issues but I'd much rather keep leveling up and having larger issues to deal with and having to keep finding people that are ahead of me that are pushing me and things like that. So good thing in real estate is that there's always somebody ahead of you, no matter how big you could have 40,000 units. And there's always, there's somebody with 41,000 units. It's, um, and the cool thing is that the people that are ahead of you are more than willing to help get you to where they're at. It's the community is, is incredible. That is one thing that's really surprised me as I got into real estate was how willing people are to share their information. You know, it's there's so many industries and things like that where it's like, well, I don't want to I don't want to tell anyone like this is my information. I don't want to share it. And you get into the real estate world and people are like, this is how I was successful. This is what I did to get to where I am. And they're just so willing to share their secrets and and talk to talk to you and, and talk about what they did. And it's just so refreshing to go in there and you can ask anyone anything and 99.9% .9 of the time that person is going to be so open to telling you what they did, what the numbers were like, how did this flip go? Where did you mess up? And things like that. Like it's, it's very refreshing and it's very, uh, it's very nice to know that you can get in and talk to people and people are so willing to share their information with you. Yeah. And there's, there's also people, it's a game. It is a truly a very competitive sport game as well and there's there's strategies to everything even as far as like closing timelines like a 15 day i'm sorry 45 day due diligence 15 days to close there's a strategy behind why that timing uh 
very much favors the uh, the buyers. And you don't when you start closing deals and you start seeing how other people are doing, putting them under contract, their timeline, how they're structuring the contract. It's it's a learning lesson in of itself, and you've got to keep keep doing it, keep showing up, and you'll just you'll learn these different nuances. It's uh, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, so on uh, on your 200 unit portfolio, tell us some challenges that you face because uh, you're getting into uh, 200 families, a uh, lot of personalities. So what are what are some things that you all have faced and some challenges that you all have overcome? Uh. We've actually been very lucky as far as when we were managing and having tenants. Um, we luckily, my husband was very good at screening people and getting good tenants in there. We in, had in 2023 had our first eviction that we've ever had to deal with. We had just hired on our property manager and it was already already heading towards eviction. This one tenant that had been in there for only a couple months. Um, and it's it, it was, I don't know we just have a very different mindset on things, but anytime in the past that we've had issues with tenants that couldn't pay, it's always been like, okay, what, like what's going on? Just talking to them. And most of the time it's, you know, we'll, we'll let them out of their lease. Is that ideal? No, but you look at what your options are of, okay, I can make you stay in there, but you can't pay me and you have no idea when you're going to get a job again. And I can keep adding fees onto you, but like you, you can't get blood from a stone. Like, Right. There's no, to me, there's no point in keeping people in there. So, you know, our challenges of dealing with tenants, it's really just been, okay, let's just communicate with them. Like, why are you not paying? What is your issue? And a lot of times it's just like, look at, it's probably best that we just split ways. Like we're, we're going to keep your deposit because you owe us money, but we're not going to charge you fees. We're not going to like, you can't pay us. We're not going to get money from you. Just let that lease end. Um, it's just, to me, it's a win-win for both sides. They get out quicker. We can get a new tenant in there quicker and we're not drawing anything out. This one tenant did not, we tried the cash for keys. We tried everything. They just did not want to work with us. And then we found out that they had actually moved out like three or four weeks prior and were just lying to us. That, oh, wow. Yeah. Just trying to screw us over. And I'm like, dude, you're trying to hurt us, but now you have an eviction on your record. And now you have over $8,000 that the courts have charged you a few thousand dollars of their fees. And now you're going to get your wages garnished for the next however long it is. Yeah. So the, the tenants, so many people don't want to get into being landlords because of the tenants, but that's literally like one tenant in 20 years that we've had to evict, but they, they can be difficult. But most of the time, if you just talk to them like they're humans and don't look at them as just like your, your paycheck to me. We've with the exception of this one person, we've always been able to, to work things out, but um, yeah. it's definitely been some challenges at times, but. And I think anything worth doing comes with its own set of issues. So no matter what you're doing, you're going to deal with, with people and issues that come along with just dealing with that, no matter what industry and, and what trade that you specialize mm -hmm. in. And, um, I feel like property management, if you're managing for other people, that it would be it would be tough to be motivated on that front. If you're managing your own portfolio, you're optimizing it, you're maximizing it, you're you're able to to control every aspect of it. That's where it becomes bigger than just the business. Um, but it's got its issues. And it's just like anything else. It's the better you run it, the tighter you run the ship, 
it's expectations are set, you know, it's, it can go all the way down. You've got some bad actors out there that, that will do what they do and they'll, they'll do it to the next person too. It's just the way that they're programmed. Yeah. Yeah, but so many people are afraid of, you know, of tenants and stuff. And I just, for us, like, that's a problem that we don't, we don't see that as a big difficulty. And something else that we started doing with our tenants is when it comes time for them to renew, we give them like an anniversary gift. Yeah. And this kind of is, is twofold. One, it's typically something that's going to help our property. So we give them a list of options. But we also tell, tell them like, hey, if there's something specific you want, let us know. But like we'll put a new floor in one of the rooms. We'll we'll paint one of your rooms. We'll hire a a cleaner to come in and and do a deep clean in your place for two or three hours. We've had tenants want to put a new light in their bathroom or outside more outside lighting, but that's been like our tenants have loved that one. As I said, like we kind of do small upgrades to our property, but it also makes the tenant feel like they get some say in what happens at their where they're living like this is where they live it's their home so when they have a say in what can be upgraded or what they can get like it's it's been really good and i think it's one reason we've been able to keep tenants you know most of our tenants we have for two three years which is not that common in a lot of areas for long-term rentals so we'll put a um a usb charging outlet in the um in the kitchen and that's a huge hit it's a, it's something that costs it's it's not it doesn't cost a ton at all, but it's such a huge convenience to, to just have available for the, uh, the residents. But yeah, um, I, I like the anniversary gift. That's, that's very cool. It kind of gives them a purpose or to, to treat the property a little bit better and a, a different meaning for sure. Yeah. Um, so you, you're, you're financial, uh, financially talented as far as underwriting and, um, and auditing and everything. How are you underwriting your deals today and seeing what a good deal is versus a bad deal? So, and this is something where prior to the last year, it was very easy for us to find deals. And this last year I've been like, did I change something in my underwriting? Like, why can we not find a deal? But, you know, we, I'm definitely on the more conservative side. You know, if we're looking at rents in an area, like I'm not going to underwrite that. Be like, okay, best case scenario, we can get 2000 bucks a month. Like, I'm not going to underwrite it based on that. We're going to be, okay, where's, where's the average rents and, a lot of times we're looking in places where we already have um, we already have some assets, so we have a very good idea of what rents can be. But we're making sure that we're putting maintenance expense in there. So many people don't factor in maintenance or like their landscaping or snow removal. If you live in an area that has snow, um, it's it's definitely very hard to find a deal right now, and it's really hard. It can be very frustrating when you're underwriting dozens and dozens or hundreds of deals and you're just like, ah, oh, none of these are working out. But we just, you know, we we're not gonna buy an asset that loses money. We're we're not if it loses money right off the bat because it needs to be stabilized, that's fine. But once stabilized, we always look at okay, what is it gonna be once it's stabilized? So as long as once that asset is stabilized, it's it's cash flowing, but also looking at what our cash on cash return is, you know. Right now, I mean, you can put money in a CD and it can be four, five, five and a half, six percent. So to find investors that are okay with like a three percent cash and cash return, they're like, I can put my money in a CD with no risk and get more than that. So it has been difficult finding deals, but you know, we just we stick with our numbers. We we're not going to to buy something just because we're desperate or we really want to buy something. Um, but for anyone that's like out there underwriting, it's, it's, it's frustrating now. It's, 
you got to put a 50% down payment down. And even then it's still like you're barely break even and your cash on cash is 2%. And so we just ideally we'll have a cash on cash. that's at least around eight ish percent once it's stabilized, ideally double digits, but just with the way the market is now, we're willing to be, you know, a little lower on our cash on cash, especially when our interest rates are, you know, 8%. Now we just actually are working on a deal right now that we just got quoted 7%, which I was like, Oh man, that's really good. So starting to see those come down. Um, but it's, it's, it's difficult now. The deals are still out there, but they're definitely a lot harder to find. But what, I think, um, what market, what market are you underwriting? Salt Lake City. Okay. In the Utah. So Ogden, Salt Lake City, uh, some other areas of Utah, but we're focusing just on the Utah market right now, which is a more expensive market, Salt Lake itself. Some of the outskirts are uh, less expensive, but you still have some pretty strong rents. So yeah, I like uh, I like secondary and like the uh, the tertiary line. Uh, it's a yeah. path of progress, like baked in path of progress. It might take years, but um, there's they're strong rent growth and the uh, tertiary ring as well. Yeah. We're seeing we're, we're finding we're able to underwrite uh, deals and, and get them to pencil. It's the, the debt component when you when you put in the value add and your capex and being able to access your capex funds. It's it's the cost of capital is is um, it's killed tough. the deal. Yeah. 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 You look at them and your NOI is good. And then you're looking at everything like what's your rehab and your CapEx and all that. And then you factor in your debt and it's like it, that that's been a deal killer. Uh, so that's why we're really trying to focus and find sellers that are willing to do seller finance. Cause like if you're, you know, your cap rates 5% and your interest rate and your mortgage is going to be eight, eight and a half percent. Like it just doesn't, the, the interest rates have definitely been a deal killer on, on most deals that we've been been looking at for sure. Yeah. Another strategy you might explore is a uh, seller carry back um, where they can maybe bring back 500 to a million at, um, at closing and then lower the cost basis of the debt. And then they would essentially have the balloon when you refinance or sell it. That's been, that's been one that, uh, that could be successful for you too. If you're seeing yeah. that it's just not penciling, but um but yeah, I mean, there's just create, and that's real estate in general. There's creative ways to make it happen as long as you got a willing seller, which sellers typically want to become the bank if they can. So yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of assets here in Utah where a lot of like they're looking to sell to 1031 into something else. They're not looking to do any of the seller finance or the creative stuff. But um, yeah. yeah, it's. It's out there and yeah, the creative stuff is definitely, if we can find a seller, they'll do the carrybacks and stuff. That's definitely ideal. Yeah, for um, sure. So. For sure. And then as far as rent growth, I mean, we're flatlining rent growth. We're, we'll get it to market and then we will, we feel like we're definitely at a plateau. So no rent growth for the next three years. And then uh, we'll see where it goes from there, but yeah, just conservative I mean, underwriting. Yeah. Yeah. We've definitely, and we've seen this, uh, a little drop in actual rents. Yeah. So yeah, when we're looking like I'm not building in big rent growth, we're, yeah, I'm saying we're not building in any rent growth because right now it's when we're looking at rents, here's like, you know, if the average is 1500, we're even going under that because we're, we've seen a small drop in rents. Um, so hopefully that does start to level out. I think this spring will be interesting to see how, how things go and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, we definitely, definitely are not expecting any big, big growth in rent or anything like that. And 
another thing when with people that I get a lot of deals sent to me and people are like, yeah, this is going to cash flow, you know, X amount of dollars and things like that. And I, I like to tell you, like, don't trust what anyone tells you. If someone says it's going to cash flow X amount of dollars, like, and even when I see people posting deals online and they're promoting their deal, and then you find out their, their cash flow, it is strictly taking their gross rents and backing out like just their principal and interest. So if you're looking at smaller assets and people, you're like, man, how are people getting $3,000, $2,000 with this fourplex or tenplex or whatever it is? And they're like $800 a door, $1,000 a door. Like when I dig in and start asking people, they're not factoring in maintenance. They're not factoring in vacancy. They're not factoring in CapEx. Like, so just make sure you're running your numbers for how you are going to run that asset. And if you're going to have a property manager, you know, somebody could be selling it and they've got 300 doors. So they get their property management for 3%. But for you, it's your first deal and you're going to be paying 10%. So just make sure you're running your numbers based on how you're going to run that asset and not how your seller is is running it and what their numbers are. Always use your own numbers and make sure you double check. And Yeah. Yeah. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. Cool. What advice would you give someone looking to start multifamily real estate investing? Um, really figure out what your, your goal is. Cause you know, you get so many people want to know, like, how do I start in real estate? To me, everything starts with what's your goal. You know, even if you're wanting to get into multifamily, but you could have a W2 that you absolutely love or that right now you're just not wanting to quit cause you make really good money. So you could be someone like, I want to get involved, but I don't really want to quit my W2. Well, you'd be just be an LP, invest in other people's deals so start networking with GPs and people like me that are looking to buy the assets and will be looking for investors. Um, if you're somebody that's looking to get involved in actually buying them, network. You know, if you're if you're new to the space and you want to get involved with multifamily, look up local meetups in your area. Look up local RIOs, real estate investor associations, and just start showing up and going to these meetups and going to where other investors are and, and talking to people and networking. And, you know, we, we go to a lot of local meetups and you may see somebody once or twice, and then you see them again six months later. And it's when somebody's showing up regularly, that to me shows like, okay, they, they actually really want to do this. And people are going to be far more apt to be like, Hey, let's come on board or we'll show you this. We'll show you that. But to me, the networking and just being around people doing what you want to do is such a game changer The the knowledge you get from it, the motivation you get from it. Um, that's definitely relationships is such a huge, huge part of multifamily. So if you're looking to get involved, the number one thing I'd say is just start going, going to meetups and start networking with people that are already doing what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, just to add on that, the, um, the old adage that if uh, a good, if you find a good deal, the money will come. That is not true. It's relationships. Who's the chalky on a horse and who consistently shows up for those meetings builds trust. You yeah. find a good deal. You, you're showing up for the meetings. You might have all the capital you need in that room if you consistently show up. Yes. Yeah. Somebody shows up one time and they're like, Hey, I've got this deal. Like you don't know them. You don't know if they're trustworthy things like that. So yeah, showing up, being consistent. And if you do find a deal and people know you, they're going to want to help you. Like yeah. that is one thing I love about the real estate we were sort of touched on earlier. Like we want to see everyone succeed and we want to help people. So 
you show up and you show that you're actually putting in the effort and, and really hustling and things like that, you find a deal, you're going to find people that are going to help you make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Lisa, we appreciate you coming on the show today. If uh, yeah. somebody wants to reach out, learn more about you, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, Instagram is probably the best way. Uh, more doors with Lisa is my Instagram handle. So definitely follow me there and you can find me Lisa field more on Facebook as well. But yeah, give me a follow and, um, any other questions, don't hesitate to shoot me a DM and love to love to chat more. Very cool. I love following you, seeing your activity, and uh, we will certainly talk soon. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. Right. Thanks. Bye.